0: This is Coda Radio, episode 55, for June 24th, 2013. Listening to Coder Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and related technologies. We stream this episode live on Monday morning, and it's brought to you by GoDaddy. I'll tell you more about GoDaddy.com as the show goes on. My name is Chris, and joining us every single week is the always excellent Mr. Michael Dominic. Hey there, Michael.
1: Привет, comrades. Hello, comrade, and good morning to you. We are here with our special guest Ed. Ed, would you like to come on the mic now? <laughs> Why are you? Close the door behind you. Hey. Oh man. Ed's a little camera shy these days. I'm not. I'm not sure what's going on. Wait with Wait a
0: minute. So you had on our list here E Snowden. I th- wait. Is that? It? Uh, it sounds like that. Maybe that was supposed to be an unfiltered guest. I think he got mixed up.
1: Well, he, you know, he's he's actually a a big fan of C. <laughs> Unfortunately, he has a bad habit of reading everybody's commit loans.
0: Yeah, no kidding, right? Yeah, I've yeah. heard
1: about that. I guess it gave him guilt guilty conscience, though.
0: So, Mr. Dominic, what do you think we're going to talk
1: about today? What are you feeling like? Well, we need a young priest and an old coder and, of course, Uncle Vlad.
0: That sounds like a software exorcism, if you will.
1: In Russia, yes. <laughs> so, very good, very good. Actually, why don't we reverse our order a little bit? Oh, really? Yes, I didn't tell you about this. but
0: No, I'm ready, though. I, I'm, so, I'm I'm easy. This Yes, you are. Oh, ouch, ouch, ouch. hurts on the inside. Oh,
1: (laughs) all right then. Uh, So this week was actually inspired by a book I've been reading for, well, 10 days, called Software Exorcism. Okay. Written by uh, someone whose name I forgot. Mm. But it's basically about maintaining and updating legacy code that has fallen uh, to the dark side, we could say.
0: Oh, I see. So uh, I'm guessing this is our pick this week, too.
1: It is our pick, and I craftily put an Amazon link in there. I like the way you think, Mr. Dominic. That way yes. people can help support the show. Yes, and there are two editions of the book, and I believe there may be a Kindle. I have the paperback one that I linked in there. It was printed in 2012, and it has some uh, you know, corrections and modernizations. But I was so inspired by this book, and I have been suffering with a uh, – well, with code that's been possessed by Beelzebub for a little while now.
0: Yeah, we were talking a little bit on the pre show. You were mentioning how you've been kind of dealing with some, uh, with a particular project that kept you up yes. late and it's got a bunch of old code in there that's just kind of a nightmare.
1: Indeed. So I figured we'd have a whole episode about that. And plus, <laughs> Software Exorcism is a catchy title.
0: Yeah, I like that. All right, very good. That sounds interesting. You know I know, I know, I know that I've dealt with this in my own type of capacity. So this is something that can totally sap my motivation. When I'm de- when I'm working on something, I can be, I you know, it, it, I look at, I can I can look at something like this and go, oh man, this is going to take so long to fix, and it's going to blow the whole thing.
1: And it, yeah, I mean, at like three this morning, I was considering just hopping a plane to Hong Kong. <laughs> I I was like, you know what, I'm done.
0: I got somebody you can talk to. They can get uh, you arrangements to fly to uh,
1: Moscow Maybe if we you can, like. We can get a group rate. <laughs> <There you go. laughs> All right, we should start with the feedback though before we both end up in Gitmo.
0: Right, that very good, very good.
1: Uh, so Daniel asks. If we have the same issues adapting to change or dealing with rapid change in more open environments, i.e., Linux, that we've recently had with, uh, we talked about OS X changing and the Macs changing.
0: Right. Last week, I was bemoaning uh, the switch to uh, the new Mac Pro, kind of leaves a lot of pro users in in the, uh, in the dust, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I'll let you answer this first. I have, I might have a different take on this than you.
1: What is your thought? Do open environments yeah, uh, help so uh, you adapt better? Where I use Linux the most in production, I tend to be going with an LTS or something like that. Usually it's Ubuntu LTS. So actually, I don't have much of a problem.
0: Well, what about like open source um, development no. uh, You know, uh, tools or? Uh, you know, well, I think like that. this is a
1: philosophy thing too, right? I'm, and more and more, I'm fairly conservative in my tool chain. Um, so for instance, Java 6 to Java 7, there's really no breaking changes, right? Uh, Ruby. All right, Ruby 2.0, 2.0 is a little bit of a change from one nine, but it's you know I ha, even on my Linux box I don't change my IDE. You know I'm still using Sublime Text or Vim. You know I, I've been using Git f- years now. I I don't. I guess I don't change things unless I have to.
0: Mm.
1: Beyond keeping things up to date for security and and you know. You are a,
0: yeah the general tool set mindset. Yeah.
1: yeah, the general tools stay the same. I mean I, yeah. It doesn't mean I don't try out the new hotness, but... Right, you, know, you have a toolbox,
0: and you don't change out the tools unless you need to.
1: Yeah, and generally my Linux machines are production servers.
0: So I want to take his comment in a different direction. So what I, you know, I, I would apply where he says, quote-unquote, more open environments. I would, I would flip the word open environments and say more transparent environments. And the thing about, it, like, in terms of servers or uh, large software projects is not only is the code out in the open but the discussion for the future direction of the code is generally held out in the open and if i am if i'm an interested enough party i can monitor that discussion at the same level that the developers yeah. themselves can follow it and so i can be well apprised of the future direction of say the samba project and i have lots of samba servers i can be well apprised of what they're doing well before it actually hits my box, and I can be prepared for it, and that is a huge amount of visibility that companies like Apple and Microsoft do not provide because they want to wow you with a big splash, and they don't want to tell you about it because boom, aren't you impressed? And then you have to cope with it immediately. Whereas in open source, yep. there's no incentive for that. There's no reason so for that. That's
1: a good point about the coping too, um, and I can't say too much, but we, you know, we've all we all saw the WWDC keynote, right, and the new uh, controversial iOS design stuff.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Needless to say, I have a lot of very anxious people right now. Uh, anxious clients, people like that.
0: Right? Yeah. Sure.
1: And I'm basically I'm in I'm in triage mode. Whereas well, if maybe if when open, Apple started
0: working on this back in say you know does January or whenever they were working on right.
1: it right I could have I could have staged it out over you know nine months rather than it, and this happens to me every year it's this weird thing where at the end of June basically July to you know october effectively it's this mad dash and then in october everything calms down right
0: well but let's not kid ourselves either that's also a business opportunity for uh, you oh it is yeah and so in a way this is sort of a a handout that apple gives to the ios developers
1: well it, it what it is is it makes your business a little more seasonal
0: true yeah right. yeah yeah
1: um which is it's and it's artificial right it would it's only seasonal because this is when they rev things every year <laughs> right yeah yeah, it's, it's not exactly and like, it could uh,
0: change on you you know right, apple, they could
1: arbitrarily change it
0: right yeah. apple does move things around they used to be releasing phones and new os's in june now they do it in the fall um and so but like you know but zoom out even further like think about like um you know the actual platform that you're writing your applications mm. on top of like ios <clears throat> If iOS was developed out in the open, you would know, you know, you could, your apps could be sort of following that trend as they're working on it and you could be trying things out. You could be, you could be ready to launch on day one with some really good code instead of having to sort of at the last minute, write for this new thing they've just released and hope that version 1.0 is stable. Whereas you could actually be following development.
1: That's not a hundred percent true, right? I mean, I registered iOS developers do get beta builds. We do get pre releases. I mean, I have seven on my phone. Yeah. It, it it's not it's not this oh they released it you know hurry up it's they released the beta you have x months ago
0: and then here's the last point i would make so say um say you're a business who built this massive infrastructure on mysql right and mysql goes a direction that you don't like if you're a big enough business, you could just take that code in-house and then continue to maintain it with your own developers and apply the patches you need until well, you can happened. transition to something else. I mean, you have Maria like a... MariaDB,
1: right? That's exactly what happened with MariaDB. Right. MySQL. Um, who was it? Miguel? Not Miguel de It's the guy's name. I'm sorry. Open source people you, you in the chat room, you probably know his name. They forked it off of Oracle. But actually, Chris, I can give you a much better real world example. Wait, on Rails. I still religiously read the Rails mailing list, the Rails stuff on GitHub, you know, just the general chatter. Yeah. But I would say some point last year, and if you listen to the back show, you can find what point that was, I decided I didn't like the direction Rails was going in. I remember. So I started undoing some defaults, and now I'm at the point where I just don't use it anymore except for maintenance, right? Uh, and that's, you know, had that not been open, let's say they they released Rails whatever version changed everything as a bombshell release, that probably would have been a a much more traumatic experience for me. Rather than it was, it was slow, right? Because it was open. It was, oh, they're pushing Sass. Oh, they're pushing CoffeeScript a little. Oh, no, they want me to use Sass. Oh, no, they want me to do this. (laughs) Right, right. It's like, you know what? Enough is enough, right? When I'm turning off half the defaults, it's kind of like, forget
0: about it. Yep, I remember that discussion. And that's a perfect example of what I'm talking about. Perfect example, you were able to do a much more cleaner ramp on and off.
1: Right and it basically for me, it was a squelch filter. it was no or a, a pain filter, basically. And how <clears throat> how much setup am I willing to do on each new rails project to turn off defaults?
0: And here's an example of why if I could for my production means, I would prefer to use Linux because if the scenario was slightly tweaked in that and this would obviously never happen. but if 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 Apple just decided one day, man, we care so little about the Mac now, that we're just going to release Mac OS ten as a downloadable. never going to happen. But if they did that, and I could load it on any hardware I want, then I could just continue to buy a tower that has PCI Express slots and load the software on there to do the production I want. That's not an option with OS 10 without using a Hackintosh, which is what I have been doing for the last several years. With Linux, or Windows, but in this case, particularly Linux, I could load it on any... I could load it on a system that is as tiny and and dense as that new Mac Pro trash can, or I could load it on a massive, multi-slotted you know slotted beast. And that kind of flexibility of an open platform is is a much safer thing for a business owner to bet the farm on than a closed platform which can take this immediate u-turn to go from this big tower with all these slots to basically the imac land and i'm kind of left in the dust and if i was on a different platform a more open platform that'd be a much easier change for me to adapt to i would just switch to different hardware i don't have that case i don't have that choice in this closed environment
1: yeah i mean it's yeah, I mean, hardware is a little different, I think, but that is a fair point. I mean, one thing I've often done, it's actually a tip from your Linux action show from years ago, is uh, breathe new life into older laptops with Linux. Okay, now, so Ubuntu messed that up with Unity a little bit, but
0: <laughs> swear to God it works with GNOME too. Yeah, Zubuntu would be great for that.
1: Zubuntu would work, but mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, thats it's just a good... But we should move on yeah. from this because...
0: Yeah. It's a good thought, though. It's, it's interesting to yeah. kick around, and it kind of shows you if you have the option to... Sort of use of an open foundation, you'll have more flexibility later on.
1: I would say you may have, right? Because right. again, Rails is open, but they're still very aggressive. Oh yeah. Oh, it doesn't mean that yeah. they won't screw up, and you'll have. To, you don't. Yeah. You could still get screwed. It's, it's, it's not even about screwing up, and and it actually leads right into our next email. Um, it's it's a difference in philosophy. That's very but, true.
0: Our next one from Leon. You want me to read
1: it? Yes. The all right.
0: Leon writes in. Uh, says thanks for the great show. I have a question, and I would really love for it to be covered on Coda Radio. My question, how do you keep a company as a whole up to date with new technologies? With always limited time and strict deadlines, I don't dare use big new technologies for a project. Every new technology I've learned, I have done in my spare time. I can't ask my colleagues to make the same sacrifice, but I fear we, have a co- we as a company are getting behind. How can we keep up with new technologies without dedicating all of our spare time to pet projects for learning new things? Regards, Leon.
1: So before we jump into this deeply, we should separate two things out, right? So keeping up with technologies, before I say what I'm going to say, I definitely patch my shit, right? Like I'm not running old PHP on anything. I'm not running old Java on anything. Everything's patched and up to date.
0: Do you ride the leading edge wave that sort of forces well, for you to se-
1: for security patches. Yeah. Right? Then Now, you might have a different take on this, but I actually don't worry about that. So, for instance, if an app is on Rails and it's on a stable version of Rails, I just keep doing the incremental updates.
0: Okay, well, I'll give you an example. So, I have a Skype machine in a studio, runs Ubuntu 12.04. I will probably never update it until Ubuntu right. 12.04 is no longer supported.
1: Here is, well, I think so. So, I think I think anything that's, that has an internet connection going into it and is on the web, like a web app, it's probably better to be a little more aggressive.
0: Are you talking about versions? I think he's talking about just learning about new ways of doing things and new types of technologies and new, you know. Oh, chains. so I'm
1: thinking more versions. Yeah, he's, no. yeah. He's so, talking
0: like, how do I, how do I keep a company of people current without, you know, pulling the Google thing where we like have a 20% day where people spend their entire Friday just screwing off?
1: You probably don't, right? I mean, we had a, a post in the subreddit about you know the No JS rock stars. Somebody was feeling snarky. It wasn't me. I don't do that, and I don't know how you would feel about that. I Generally, if a technology is not abandoned by the vendor or by the open source community that supports it, I usually don't feel the need to jump to the new hotness because the new hotness, a lot of it's hype, right?
0: Well, you see, you're coming at it from an angle of somebody who's always probably in in spends the majority of your time in problem-solving mode. And problem-solving mode includes finding the right software to fix something, but when you're... When you're punching the clock and you're going to a 9 to 5 every single day and you're kind of working on your same corporate applications that you've always worked on, there's no real need to go out and find a new way to solve something so you can kind of stagnate. And then later when you have to rebuild or write something new, you realize that, holy crap, you know, the stuff I've been working with is several years out of date now. But see, you're never, you never fall into that mode because you're probably always problem solving, right? And I think – so I think what Leon's, what Leon's up against is, first of all, part of its culture. You need to have people, you need to be working with people who genuinely want to find that stuff out. Like, I could always tell in an IT shop, the IT guys who, when they went home, never turned on the computer, didn't read any news sites, didn't listen to any podcasts, and I could tell the guys who, when they got home, they fired up the PC and spent another few hours on the PC, read all of the news sites they missed during the day, and probably listened to tech tech podcasts on the drive home. Like... It was so obvious between the two, and and the guys who had the motivation to go home and screw around more and listen to the podcasts, they were the people who were trying to to sort of feed a hunger to learn more, and they just naturally would gravitate towards new technologies and just sort of gobble them up. Problem is, you can be too busy to do that. I would wonder if Leon couldn't do a podcast for his own group of people. If he's staying current on this stuff and wants to disseminate the information, and I'm not saying like an hour long podcast. I'm saying like a once a week or a once a month thirty minute thing where you update people on something. I mean, maybe that'd be one it's all about disseminating information that you find interesting as long as you have the right type of people to receive it, if people that you know are going to be interested in it,
1: yeah, I think there's a difference between side projects and and what you're being paid to do right sure, or or yeah. production, yeah, and sure, for a side project, you know do a blog, do a podcast, you know whatever you like. I think a lot of people get in a lot of trouble, especially when they have to go to clients or their employer, and they buy into the hype of the new hotness, right? Yeah. And I'm seeing it happen a lot with Node.js, and in particular, NoSQL.
0: Yeah, they'll, they'll walk into a place, and they'll just start implementing the latest and greatest right. thing without really any consideration for... And because, you
1: know, the fact that it's in Node will solve your problem. Yeah. The fact that the data is not relational it will solve your problem. And we've talked about this before, but a lot of the issues are you know, the technology is not tested. It's not battle-hardened. It's new. And that's not usually a good way to go. And I've been guilty of this myself. But I... It's tough, though, right? Because then you can get caught, you know, get pigeonholed into one thing. And I think that's what Leon's kind of afraid of. Yeah. (sighs)
0: Yeah. I don't know if we have a solid answer
1: for him here. Yeah, I mean don't become a curmudgeon like me, that's all Oh
0: you just want me to push the button. Curmudgeon. Yes. Curmudgeon. Curmudgeon. <laughs> I would say Leon, um you gotta you gotta uh you can only you could only lead the thirsty horse to water. Is that how the saying goes? I think so. Yeah. I mean otherwise Leon you just gotta focus on on the people who want to learn. Um and then figure out a good way. Chatroom recommends maybe a company subreddit. That's not bad. Maybe just a company Twitter account where you tweet out interesting news stories that you ask people to follow. I don't know. You'll think outside the box, Leon, think of how you would spread the word about something. Become a champion. And yeah,
1: if and, people... and if you're trying to pitch a new technology, I would definitely, you know, couch your pitch in dollars and cents, right? So make it solve an actual business problem.
0: Now, Mr. Dominic, before we get out of the feedback, I have a burning passionate question I've been wanting, wanting to ask you. What's that? Could you look into your crystal ball and tell me what the next no. big
1: stack is going to be? <sighs> it's going to be Node. I hate <laughs> Node.
0: Wait, wait, you know, you're supposed to scoff at the question and say, why do people keep asking me this? What does that even mean? Yeah. That's what you're yeah, supposed I, to say.
1: No, I, I don't like that question. And I'll, I'll tell you why, especially for the server side, because it, 99% of the use cases people are writing in about, it doesn't matter. Right, you're not having that those concurrency issues that Node is meant to solve, or that Go is meant to solve, or any of these new hotness things. Your data is in fact relational. You don't need MongoDB. You don't need NoSQL. You just don't want to write, you know, an ASP or Rails or Java Play or whatever because you don't want to write it. And that's fine, but you know that. Chasing the trend is only going to go so far. And in, note in particular, if you don't need something event driven like that, then there's no reason to go with it. That's it.
0: Okay. <clears throat> so, interestingly, because it, it, you're kind of responding to several emails we've gotten that kind of essentially boil down to that question. Well,
1: I, I think, you know, they used to make fun of Rails as oh, it'll, it's magic, it'll solve all your problems. I'm seeing a lot of really good marketing from the node camp. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of people are really buying into it. Like, oh, it's a event-driven, it's concurrent, it's faster, we can process this many requests a second. That's fantastic. The problem is most people don't need that, right? And their problems are more naturally solved in a relational way by a more traditional framework such as ASP or Rails or even Java Play
0: got the Java Play mentioned in there. Well done, sir.
1: I love Java Mm. Play. Java Play is pretty good. All right. Yeah, it's... I mean, we talked about this a few episodes ago, so we're not going to go into it, but I'm a sad panda.
0: Well, I got something to cheer you up. Why don't, before we get into our main topic, we we do a little uh, business and uh, tell you guys about this week's sponsor of Coda Radio, and that is GoDaddy.com. GoDaddy.com is the world's number one domain name registrar. They have more than... I think they're almost up to 11 million customers now worldwide, and why that is great—that <laughs> almost makes them the—that is the gold standard. I'm sorry, at that point, that is the gold standard. And when you're dealing with clients, or when you start a new company, or when you're just working for somebody and you need to take care of registering a domain name or managing DNS. GoDaddy is great. Not only do most people already have it, but if they don't, it's easy to move them over to it, and then they can get taken care of by somebody else down the road later, and you don't have to worry about it. What I mean by that is, I'm just saying, if you have a client and you need to leave, it's nice to leave with GoDaddy because you know they'll be taken care of by the world's number one domain name registrar. Just putting that out there. That might be on your mind. I'm just putting that out there. And look, when you're shopping over at GoDaddy.com, you can save a little bit of money. Use the code, coder 2 Coder249, when you're at the checkout, what you do is you scroll down towards the bottom of that shopping cart that's got all all the goodies you're going to buy. Look right there. There'll be a little link about a promo code. You click that link, and then you enter in Coder249. You get your .com for $2.49. You can get multiple .coms, and they're just $9.99 after that. Or if it's your first time you're buying, you're getting maybe yourself some hosting, a cert. I don't know, maybe getting a .NET for some reason. Did you know we have a Anyways, if you're getting a .NET, use the code 35OFF4. 35% 35% off your entire order. Whatever's in that shopping cart. They're just going to go in there and be like, we'll take this. We'll shave 35 right off the top. Shaving it right off the top over at GoDaddy.com. And I actually believe um, we, have a, we have a good little crew over there now listening to the Coda Radio Program, Mr. Dominic. We have some uh, fans in the GoDaddy. So thanks to GoDaddy for sponsoring the Coda Radio Program. Thanks to our audience for sponsoring our sponsors. Because then they sponsor us. You sponsor our sponsors. Then they sponsor us. And then we keep doing the show. It's like the circle, circle of, of sponsor. Life. Well, yeah, but only sponsorship. Because it doesn't have to... We, we, no one dies. No one dies. Yeah, and no one is born. But, but a podcast continues in a circle of sponsorship. So thanks to GoDaddy, and thanks to you for sponsoring our sponsor. <laughs> all right, now uh, we can move on. I feel like maybe you're going to be a little bit of a curmudgeon because you've been up
1: all day. But I'm ready yeah, for it. I'm ready. I'm We're feeling the, the curmudgeon is today. So I've entitled the section, The Path to the Dark Side. Path to the dark side. Not to be too melodramatic. No, that's good. So we've actually covered this, right? In this, again, like why some software programs end up needing what the book Software Exorcism lovingly calls exorcisms. Mm-hmm. My, I, These are my names, not the books, but Sins of the New, which is basically, oh, this is the new hotness. This is going to solve all our problems. Eh, let's go do Node and MongoDB. Right. You don't know what you're doing. You're implementing something because it's the new hotness or more importantly, you're trying to cover up mistakes you made in the past that you now need to buy time for. Great. Fantastic. You've probably bought yourself some disturbing technical debt. I'm striking fear into the heart of people in the chat room.
0: Uh-oh. Maybe the word you're going to say something that's going to make them uncomfortable.
1: Are you going to make people uncomfortable today, I, Mr. Dominic? I, I, I'm trying to be zen. It's just, you know, my head was spinning. I was speaking in tongues. VB6. I started talking in VB6. Oh,
0: oh, oh, geez. Did you take a cold shower? What what happened? Everything okay? How do you get out of that?
1: I, you don't. Oh, you man. You dive out a window, if I remember the movie correctly. Okay.
0: Okay. Uh, so the
1: next one would be neglect, right? Where you it's just bit rot. And this happens, and this is natural, and this is not too terrible, right? It's been running for months, leave it running, it's been running for years, leave it running, oh crap, we need to update it, the API changed. I mean, I'm sure you've seen that happen even on the admin side, well, right? Oh,
0: sure. Now. All the time. All the time. And, and, the, bigger, and the bigger it is, the more likely it is to happen.
1: Yeah, and that's a natural process, and there are ways to manage that where it doesn't, you know, become a full-on issue. Yeah, I've
0: actually, I would go so far as to say I have never seen it done correctly. I've never been been in a company where where it hasn't been an issue. It's almost like if you, honestly, it's almost like if you decide to do something like that, like I'm thinking like a lot, you know, one of the things we kind of mention really quickly often on the show is some of the most development out there is done just internally at companies. And that's what I'm referring to when I say this. If you decide to create some sort of in-house application, you are almost at the same time committing to having to deal with long-term technical debt. Like you're gonna to have to build that into the management process, in my opinion, because I've never seen it done properly, where people continually revisit these things and modernize them as as needed. I've never seen it. Maybe it happens. Maybe I, maybe at Google and Amazon. I don't know. Maybe those places it happens, but I've never seen it.
1: You know, internal tools almost never get proper maintenance. Right? They get like, oh, we'll get it to run, or you know, if block your way through it.
0: You know what? Even my internal tools here at Jupiter Broadcasting are kind of
1: like that. Yeah, mine are kind of duct tapes together, too. Yeah. yeah. My scripts are kind of...
0: I mean, hell, I'm running this whole damn thing on Hackintoshes. I'm running this whole op- operation on Hackintoshes right now. True. Right? So here I am getting on my high horse, <laughs> and I'm doing it. I finally get to do it my own way, and I'm still doing it. I think that just tells you what it is. is an internal value assessment.
1: True. So the next category I'm renaming to Sins of the Spreadsheet. I would say this is the broadest category, right? And this is where we've talked about on the show where people come into project, oh, the previous developer sucked, he was terrible, worst code I've ever seen. When really, it's probably not his fault. When really, nine times out of ten, it's because the budget was too low, the timetable was unrealistic, a manager saw a prototype, got excited, made commitments to cut the timetable in half. That has actually happened to me. All crazy things that the business side can do to really mess up a software project.
0: Yeah,
1: right. Because you get into that one thing I've been seeing more recently is, oh, well, this is just a beta. This is just a beta. This, you know, this is an alpha, and then oh, it's production. So,
0: you know, it's interesting as the concept of beta and and fast development has entered down into the. The level of you know average users who will, who, are, who right. are asking of these things, they sort of have. There's sort of been a revaluing of of the process there. Like people are just like, ah, eh, beta is close enough. People expect bugs. We can iterate. Right.
1: And and we talked about this before, right? It's basically technical debt where management's willing to have you do these hacks and make these compromises to you know get her done. Uh, but when when a couple of weeks go by and it's time to you know take a week off the normal progression schedule to pay back the debt. No one wants to hear that, right? Again, this is a tough one. If you have non-technical managers, I, I don't know, Chris, how you feel about this on your end of things, but you almost become a slave to the spreadsheet.
0: Mm. Or the, or yeah, yeah, or whatever. Right. Maybe it's the, maybe it's the Microsoft Project, right? Micro Bio, or, or the, whatever or the it is. Yeah,
1: my favorite is when people start counting commits.
0: Oh my gosh!
1: Yeah, like there is.
0: That's like when you're in a when you're a tech support guy, and they start uh, evaluating your performance based on the tickets you've closed, not yeah. on the ticket itself, or you know anything like that, but just the tickets, the number of tickets that have been closed.
1: <laughs> it, it it can be, you know, one thing I see a lot with non technical people, and it's usually not meant negatively on their part. You know, you rip out a whole system, and then there's a bug, and they categorize it as a regression, right? As though the old system broke even though there isn't an old system anymore um, a lot of this is just communication problems right I mean it's, it's yeah tough. Expect- and, and
0: expectation management and you know
1: I've been the guy who says listen this is going to take a month you know and you can lose projects like that so it's, sometimes it's easy to say oh give me you know a couple days and then a couple of days come and it's a couple of days, right?
0: Well, and have yeah. you ever been in that position where you you know, you're hard up for work and so you want the deal and you'll say, Yeah, we can you know what? Yeah, we can do it in in, in five days. And then you know that's not possible, so you end up just pulling crazy hours that you don't even yep. charge for.
1: Yeah. That is the worst. Yeah, and that real, creates, I, you know, that just creates bitterness. And a toxic relationship eventually, because yeah. then when you do start charging for all your hours, they feel like, oh, are you, are you billing fake hours, right? Right, you, right. Well, whoa, 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 why the issues? recent increase?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, a, that's a huge, that's a huge, that's the number one thing to begin to set expectations wrong.
1: Like one thing I found is if you're on a retainer rather than an hourly, it, you know, every once in a while you might pull that 12-hour day, which obviously you don't get paid for. The problem is that that can sometimes become the norm or the expected norm. Uh, and that's dangerous, right? Mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm.
1: In fact, recently I, I am going to a system, and I I tried to enforce this, but sometimes I try to be nice, and it, it doesn't work. Where you should literally only work what you're paid for, regardless of the timetable, if you're a contractor, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely,
1: uh, because you know when you're fired from a job, that could be a bad thing that can h- make it hard to get another job. If you're a contractor and you get fired it doesn't really matter, right? Usually the contract just ends.
0: Yeah, it's actually kind of great.
1: <laughs> and, like, I'll be honest, I've been pulling longer hours than I should on a recent project, and I am you know, recently had some uh, issues, a little medical issue, and I've just decided, no, it's a it's a 40-hour week. It misses the deadline, the deadline, oh well. Good for you. Oh, I'm sure I'm going to lose the project eventually, right? I mean, it's it's just going to happen.
0: Yeah, there's almost there is a little Zen though in just accepting that, and being like, well, you know, the projects come along.
1: Well, it's you know, it's an interesting situation because there's no reason for there to be overtime here.
0: Oh, I know it's this total like where the where the client thinks this is the most important thing you've ever that's ever been done. It's not like, even
1: that; it's that there's there's some you know there's some legacy code, and it's oh, not very good.
0: So it's just making it taking way more time than it
1: should. Right, and all the estimates are worthless because there's always a surprise around the corner. Right.
0: Yeah. Oh. Oh my gosh. Right. That is so so it's so frustrating. And then you look like you're not able to gauge. This and you look correctly. like an idiot. Right. Yeah.
1: You go into meetings and you look like the biggest moron on the planet. Yeah. And and the, and, and then right. what's even
0: better is if if the guy before you was either a liar or he knew how the technical debt worked, so he was able to better surmise. All of a sudden, you start getting that. Well. The last guy could do it in ten hours, and you're telling no, no, me it's the, going to take fifteen hours. The worst is
1: if the guy before you was willing to work weekends and pull all nighters. Yes. Make it look like he did it in the normal. Yes, that's, of part
0: time. Of the part. Yeah. No, that's part of the lying yeah, part. Yeah. Yeah, that that happens, and and then so then he sets these. Like, well, it only took him one day. Yeah, but he also yeah. worked Saturday and
1: Sunday, and he just looked like he made it. He did it on Monday. And this is this is a common problem I've been dealing with for years. And in the past, I I hate to say, it, but I've taken a pretty liberal view on it. Like I I've been. You know, I've always tried to help people out. Always try to. Okay, well, they have this deadline for this investor or this thing. You know, right? So.
0: I've always tried to understand it from their perspective, right. or you oh, know, they, well, they're going to lose enough. X amount of dollars if they don't have this thing in a production by a certain amount of time. Yeah, I've always but tried I, to put it, myself, and I, I actually for a long time felt that was like part of my value to them is I was right. willing to empathize with their situation and push myself for it. And in some cases, I'm still willing to do that, but it it never the value trade off has never been there. It's never been, like, I've never been on the winning side of that arrangement, ever. Not once.
1: Well, I would also argue that it's actually bad for your clients as well, right? Because let's say the relationship does fall apart, which it, you know, Will. does. Yeah. Then they're going to go to somebody else. And unless the guy is going to ruin his personal life, which he'll eventually just burn out and walk away.
0: It's Yeah, it's almost bad it's for gonna the, be the same. It's,
1: it's going to be the same cycle. It's
0: bad for the whole damn industry because it just cre- right. perpetuates the cycle that the next guy falls into.
1: Right, and I'm oh, happy to say that yeah. my current projects aren't aren't like that. They're pretty. They're technical guys. They understand problems are problems, and yeah, that is. And nice. I hate to say it, but the biggest thing you could have in a client is one who understands that your estimates are virtually worthless.
0: Right. Yeah. Somebody who's <laughs> had to maybe do some estimates on their own.
1: Well, so, well especially if there's like if there's legacy code, and they know it. Yeah. I mean, it's all balls to the walls guessing. Yeah. There, <laughs> there's no. If it's a greenfield project, I can pretty accurately tell you how long it's going to take. If it's if you're giving me something that maybe you ship to India or something like that.
0: Now have have you covered Sins of the Ignorance? because before you move on, I nope. wanna I wanna I, I wanna jump back because I didn't I I bit my tongue and now I'm kind of regretting it. In Sins Do of the it. New. Could you recap Sins of the New again a little bit?
1: Sure. Sins of the New is kind of what we talked about in feedback where and this happens to me a lot um especially when I bring people into projects where you know they they look at let's say our um Let's say we're running a Rails app, and they're like, oh, well, this would just, you know, all your problems be gone if you change to Node. Or...
0: Okay, I kind of, okay, now I, I kind of better understand what you're saying, because before, yeah. it kind of sounded like you were saying, you know, because I guess what I, I guess what my concern is, is you, there is a line that I think we're walking in this episode, where there's also the point where... Y- and I'm not just saying it to play the soundbite. Curmudgeon you can be too much of a curmudgeon and then sort of stagnate and fall behind. No, then- there is
1: a there's a balancing act. Um I would think the actual to use the term from the book, the sin is that if you're already in production. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. And you think that by blowing away what you have, even if it's not abandoned by the vendor, is going to fix your problems. Oh man. It well, may the- fix a problem, but it's gonna give you problems unique to that style of development.
0: Yeah, yeah. For yeah. sure. A whole new set of problems. Exactly. That's a grass is greener kind of thing that's very hard to avoid temptation.
1: Yeah. All right, so sins of the ignorance. This one is going to hit home, I think, for some people in the chat room. How can I say this nicely? (laughs) So I have been doing iOS for a while, right before it blew up, right?
0: Oh, iOS hipster.
1: Well, I... There, when it became a big thing, we had this influx of new developers, which is fantastic, right? Diversify the community—that's all good. Except I noticed there were two kinds of developers that always caused me problems: the Java guys who would leak memory like it was going out of style, and that has largely been fixed not by education but by Apple introducing ARC. Yeah. And the, you know, the older C guys, who Unfortunately, our industry is very ageist, mm. and, and they saw that they could make a good deal of money mm-hmm. in Objective-C, but they didn't bother to learn Cocoa. So they end up doing things like rewriting NSURL request from scratch, or don't use any of the built-in functionality.
0: And then you inherit that application, and you're like, what the hell? And it's,
1: a, and it's very, it may work very well, except when it's time to update it, to do some kind of major update.
2: Oh, man.
1: Right because then you don't get the benefit of the vendor updating the or you know patching the framework for you you have to do it all yourself
0: right and and particularly in the case of iOS um you know apple has done the media streaming part really well
1: right there's a lot of things i mean i've been in a situation where i had to tell a client like listen they are you know we're basically not using coco in this <laughs> like we have basic coco stuff but we're not you know we're not using any of apple's networking any of apple's media stuff And, I mean, that was, I think, last year. And that was a hard meeting. That was a a difficult meeting, for sure. Now, neither, I don't think either of these developers are, quote, bad developers, right? I mean, our industry loves to sling that around.
0: No, they're probably just doing what they think is best in their value judgment. They go, well, based on my experience,
1: what I've seen. You know, and there's an argument. I mean, the Java guys are, it's more pure ignorance, right? In a lot of cases, they've never dealt with memory management. Uh, and here's the part that will offend people. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they're just, yeah. But the C guys sometimes have a point. Like, their custom thing is more performant than Apple's. But there's a maintenance cost. Mm, yeah. And oftentimes, it's not worth it.
0: And, the, and, and especially, especially in a very fast-moving platform. You know, when you talk about, say, Windows and writing an application for Windows Desktop... Right. Uh, all right, all right. You can you can kind of you know there's some leeway there, but when you're talking about a mobile operating system that is seeing at minimum annual re- uh, revisions, right, and with point releases in between, it's 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 hazardous. It's hazardous to bypass some of that stuff. Yeah,
1: and I feel like I should play devil's advocate a little, right? Because there are cases where it makes sense to do that. Um, for instance, if performance is a huge problem. Okay. You know, and and I and I think, you know, there's there is such a thing as being too much of a framework pusher where you just use what's in the framework. But the problem is those cases are few and far between, right? And if the vendor has made a function that does exactly what you need, you should just use it generally. But I mean it's I guess it's a balancing act in a lot of ways too, right? because there are a thing on on the mobile side if you do C++ you could try to make it cross platform but it but if the business end after you're gone decides to split the application to an iOS shop and an Android shop you've just gave given bolt two teams a nightmare right because the android guys probably should sitting there thinking could have done this in java in like 4 seconds <laughs> the ios guys like what the hell <laughs> like it's just you know, there are, and and again, this has been a very negative show, right? Well, you so are grumpy today. I, well, I am a little grumpy. But there's a few things that are more taste decisions, right? There are certain types of networking I don't like that I don't think you should be doing. There are certain types of things that are more preference decisions.
0: Well, and don't you think it's just the reverse for the guys that uh, are you're sort of arguing against here? Don't you think they're saying, "Well, I have a certain preference about how these things should be done." It's a taste well, I think thing.
1: they're saying is that well, this has worked for you know this is the spec. I hear that a lot. This Aka is the their preference. You know what? Well, my preference is the
0: way. My preference is the way it's been done for twenty for twenty five damn years, and that's how I'm going to yeah. do it.
1: Right, and just because it doesn't, you know, this platform doesn't support. I'm that. I'm not letting
0: Apple right. tell me how to develop right. software.
1: And that's usually the attitude, right? We'll write our own. Screw it. Just because Apple doesn't like it, we'll do it our way. But that does backfire. Something has to change. But yeah. I mean, it's interesting because I, I, and this is a point the book goes into. A lot of this stuff is about balance, right? Um, because the one I left out from the book is optimization. And I left it out because the author of the book is a big fan of pre- what I would consider premature optimization. For instance, you know I, I would almost prefer something take a second longer than it needs to if it's like a never request than be magical and unstable hmm. right. I'd yeah. rather show you a spinner because it's safer and it's not going to crash. yeah i don't i I'm not sure i you know, I think it's all balanced. Uh, that's interesting. So we have a real-world
0: example here right from Chang Kufil in the uh, chat room. He says, so he wrote uh, the Jupyter Broadcasting app that's in the Android store, and then there's the Callisto uh, app that's in the Android store. One works on older hardware and one doesn't. And he says the main difference between the Jupyter Broadcasting app and the Callisto one is that, the main, that, he, that he was bothered to write a lot of the streaming stuff himself where I wasn't and just used the media APIs in 2.2. So he's unable to work on any device older than 2.2. Right. So that could be another practical reason to write it yourself.
1: Yeah, so that's why I'm trying to be devil's advocate and not hit this too hard. There are definitely reasons where it makes sense to not use the framework. It's just you have to do that knowingly, and then you have to – You know, I think the real issue here is that when you don't communicate that you're doing something a little unusual to the stakeholders, Mm -hmm. particularly the business guys who are going to hire the next contractor after you.
0: That's a key point.
1: You create the situation where the other guy has to constantly justify everything he does.
0: comes down to documentation and right. communication. Again, you need to let management know, hey, you know what, we can do this, but in order for this feature to work the way you want, I'm going to have to write my own solution here, which means down the road it's going to have to be maintained. And this needs to be sort of established up front as like a part of the project and then documented accordingly, right? Don't Would that help in a major way or is that just part of it? Then it's you more know, you than walk documentation, that line, right?
1: though, right? Because most business stakeholders I've known have never looked at technical documentation and, oh, and well, just yeah. don't care. Oh, for sure, for in sure. In fact, they'd rather they'd rather not pay for it. It's yeah, you, you need to literally send an email in you know, in simplified terms, terms that make sense to someone who's living in Excel, that hey, we did this for this reason, it is going to bite you in the ass later. Or it's going to be a bit more costly to update.
0: Hmm. yeah well, I guess this this is sort of but again, sort of also where you can make some money as somebody who comes in and fixes this stuff,
1: yeah, I mean i mean, if you're all about making as much money as possible, then for sure you love these guys <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. right, then you want to hug every Java coder who <laughs> presses this trap out of everything they touch,
0: hey, so like, man, it's all just business? business, right, it's all business,
1: it's all right, it's all right,
0: well and I guess it's it's one of these things where you're what you're what the the side you're on right now is well I set expectations for one thing and then got in and discovered that I was wrong but there was no way for me to know that. I was no there's no way way to no way to know this guy was going to do it this way. Yeah, I feel you. I feel you that. You mentioned at the top of the show that I, I've probably run into that myself. And I have uh you know I've I've gotten into scenarios where I'll discover that somebody has set something up in a way that I would never consider because in a million years, I would never have ever done it that way, ever. And and sometimes, you know, through the process of reverse engineering, basically, you kind of discover the person's logic and you go, eh, I'm still not so sure I agree with it, but at least I can see where they're coming from. And sometimes, you know, it's, it's just a mystery. <laughs> and that's that's been the same in IT. So it's, I share your pain, Mr. Dominic. Pain. The pain! pain. Yeah, you know, my big problem now is that I work from home more and I have family at home. It's hard to sometimes sneak away and get the work done. So I will tell people, Yeah, I think I can get that done in about two hours and then something comes up and I spend forty five minutes doing something I didn't expect, like, you know, cleaning up a kid's puke or something, I don't know. And I blow the timeline on that. So I have a I have a whole new challenge set of challenges now, luckily. I only have I only have uh, one person that I'm just kind of working with about once a week on a on a small little thing that you know isn't hasn't been a big deal, but it's it is all deadline based, so it's it's been difficult. So it's there's getting getting estimations right has been a reoccurring topic on the show via email, people asking yeah. us for a for a while because it's very hard. It's very hard to get estimations right, and you know even for something I've done a lot of, um, even then. It can be hard because you just never know what's going to come up. You never we know we could surprised. we could
1: do a whole episode on estimates, right? In fact, I think how would we, we?
0: How could we? How do you? How do you even tell people? How do you answer that question?
1: I don't I, know. I've kind of I'm, I'm starting to give up. Yeah. Like on on new projects, I'm I'm my estimates are usually just about spot on if I have all the data. But on things that are maintenance or legacy or I'm inheriting it from someone else, there's just too many unknowns, right? To what is it? Uh, known unknowns and unknown unknowns. Right. Right.
0: Right. Right. right Rumsfeld. This is. Yes. What, though, I think the core of your frustration that this sort of was this book? It's interesting that you read this book. Or did, has this problem been going on? That's why you found the book? Or did this book help you sort of identify what's been Well, this has been a
1: recurring problem. I get a project like this a few times a year, right, where it's, you know, it's usually a bad sign when someone calls and tells you, oh, the other contractor quit. <laughs> like,
0: oh, jeez. Yeah.
1: yeah. It, 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 this has been a problem for... Uh, as long as I've been in business,
0: actually, well, you know, I mean, so uh, I was working with this this last client that I was seeing very regularly. I was working with them for over a year, and um, the the technical debt problem was driving me so crazy because they would ask me to do stuff that I've done a hundred times, and I'd say, "Oh yeah, that's no problem, that's no problem," and I just kept, I just kept saying that, and I don't know why I was so stupid because I would keep hitting my wall up against my head up against a wall, and it got to the point where it. Well, we we, we left i left on good terms like i might go back there someday yeah. but i had to walk away for a while like i just like i i am continually missing projections things are taking way longer and there's this huge huge mountain of debt that i have to climb every time i want to do something and it's it burned me out so bad so it was definitely sins of the past and i was also dealing with somebody who set false expectations continually i mean the guy the guy who built the system would just work he had no he had no life outside of that job so he would just work yeah. that's all he would do all day all night all weekends and then of course that burned him out and he walked and he just said screw you guys i'm out of here i can't take this anymore peace and he just walked with horrible documentation horrible technical debt and completely mismanaged expectations so then when i get in there you know there's these there's these all of these personnel expectations and mountain of technical debt and there's also the actual technical debt that I'm dealing with and it was extremely frustrating and I walked away for a while I just needed to take a break because I thought yeah. I thought if I kept at it long enough and I gave it a freaking year and I thought if I, if I just stuck at it and if I just kept chipping away at the system but the problem is is the client doesn't want to stand still and that's completely understandable they don't want to right. continue invest in something they've already invested in because in their mind they've already spent the money on that and I don't want to keep spending money on that. And so I was constantly up against that instead of uh, – yeah. and, and and not even like, you know, can we redo this? Nothing. None of it was really – eventually – initially it was up for discussion. But when they started to realize the scope of work, well, then they kind of retracted. It, on yeah, that.
1: it quickly becomes, well, how fast can we just slap a bandage on this, right? Can we just yep. do a quick, uh, you know, triage? And, we'll, and it's always, oh, we'll deal with it later. Yep. <laughs> There's – this mystical later time where...
0: And I discovered I was adding to the technical debt myself.
1: Well, that's what happens. And, and that's something why these situations bother me is not... You know, I don't mind charging people for this at all. But I do mind when I know that in order to make them happy, I actually have to put them in something of a worse position.
0: Yeah, I was kind of like... I was just thinking, like, where are they going to be in two years? Like, I mean, this is this system is falling down around them, and their business completely depends on it.
1: Yeah. I think it was it's,
0: starting to be a bit of a burden.
1: Well, I, I've, especially on the back-end infrastructure side, eventually what happens is they just blow out the whole thing. Right. I mean, I've seen I've seen that happen, and, and that's another disaster situation, too. Absolutely. Because you have to migrate the data, and it's... We need to have a, a happy episode one day.
0: Well, we should do a gaming one or something. Yeah, we should do it. We should do it. Actually, um, before we wrap up, I just—I know it's not really related to the show, but speaking of happy things and gaming, uh, I, I feel I'm feeling a little vindicated on my stance on the Xbox. Um, Microsoft has done a 180, and they've changed a lot of some of the stringent things that people are upset. Uh, have you followed any of that?
1: Yeah, I have. I actually pre-ordered the next one. Uh, I'm a little disappointed. So there's there's two layers to the issue of, for me, right? I don't think used games are a good thing for developers.
0: Okay, I was wondering what you thought about that. But and as a any, consumer... Anything
1: that I don't buy them because it's... All you're doing is supporting GameStop. At wow. Support, right? All right. Right. What about, like...
0: Uh, what about... What, maybe you're thinking of a too large scale. What about, like, you know, if I wanted to just sell you a game for 10 15 bucks.
1: 15 Well, they had a system like that, though. Yeah, they did. Yeah, An an online system, actually, right? Right? It was online. Yeah. So for a buddy-to-buddy system, it was supported. And I think that got overlooked because, you know, the only person that would have really been punched in the face by this, with a few exceptions. So, you know, I think the issue is marketing. And Don Matrick should, I've said it last week, fire his ass. Like, the fact that he just didn't come out and say, okay, we have an exception for folks in the military. Right. Why not just make the exception because I gotta be honest, people were just hammering you with that because it's an easy thing to hit you with.
0: Like, right. right.
1: I feel like we've we had an opportunity, and Microsoft, I think, was afraid to pitch this to make Xbox a Steam like platform. Right. And I see the arguments in the chat room already should I never buy a used car? The problem with used games isn't that publishers aren't getting any money, per se. It's that the way they've responded to that is by shortening the games, adding more DLC, adding these nickel and dime in app purchase options. And they've made that the only viable business model. Oh, right? and I
0: hate that stuff.
1: So, really, when you buy a used game, you're voting for more day one DLC.
0: Actually, if there's anything to get me to pay 60, 50, 60 bucks for right. a game, it's to know that it is a complete whole game. In fact, one of the things I liked a lot about Star Wars The Old Republic, the uh, MMO, was that. Sotor, it was it was you pay what you paid for it. It was you got everything. Now it's now they got all this, you know, free to play stuff. I just don't like it,
1: right? And and I, and I don't mean you know I'm not really defending Microsoft, right? I mean the fact that a company that large can't do a proper marketing effort is, you know, shameful. But what the Say hell?
0: That, what the hell is Microsoft's problem? They are screwing up everything. They are screwing. They are Windows aiding the Xbox.
1: Oh well, I. I didn't publish it, but I did write an article over the weekend. Uh, WinRT is dead, right? Yeah. WinRT yeah. is done. Windows it's, Phone it's, is
0: going nowhere. Uh, right. Windows 8 is a disaster. it. I Nobody would say Windows
1: it. Phone has a better shot than WinRT, but even that, it's going to be 1% market and share.
0: And here's the thing, is Microsoft came out of the gate... Promoting this thing as an entertainment device that also plays video games. Well, who the hell is going to pay five hundred dollars for a video streamer? The Roku is ninety nine dollars. It's just not going to happen. That is not an argument Microsoft can win. And then Sony came
1: out, and you know what Sony did? They hit every freaking note right, but and they didn't you know even what, have to. But but you know what Sony really did? I mean, if you really they just penalize, didn't screw it up
0: as bad as Microsoft.
1: Yeah, all they said is that we've done nothing, guys. It's been eight years, and we have changed nothing. Aren't you happy? Well. Yeah, I mean, really, yeah. you know, in some ways you're right. But right. people were happy. And I mean, the NSA news couldn't have come out at a worse time for the Kinect either. I know. Someone's been in the chat room. But...
0: It really? And, and honestly, um, how do you call the, I mean, if you, if you measure it in sales, the Kinect is a success. If you measure it in titles, people play. Huge yeah, flop. Failure. You know why I know it's a flop? Because somebody brought over their Kinect one time to show it to me. Right, and they left all of their Kinect games here by accident, and, and they like don't. Games. And they don't even know. And that was like a year ago. They've never played it again. They don't even know their Kinect games are here. I forgot to mention it to them until I just thought of it right now. And the funny thing is, is now they require a Kinect to operate the Xbox, a component well, so, that really so nobody
1: uses. So the word on the street now is that they're they're going to backpedal on that if they have to.
0: Well, my question is, is like, so you have the Kinect up on your mantle, right? And then the Kinect falls off and breaks.
1: Right. Your Does ex- your machine not work? Your
0: X bone doesn't boot?
1: That seems crazy.
0: It's for marketing. That's what it's for. It's for marketing. And that's fine. It's just Microsoft is so screwed. They don't they obviously have I don't know I don't know what the hell their problem is, but if anybody could be more tone deaf in this announcement, it would right, l-
1: let's be fair, right? I mean they both effectively said the same thing. DRM is up to the publisher. But it's not that Sony is not having DRM. It's Most games are cross-platform, and they're all going to have activation or... Yeah, you
0: know, yeah but I'm, I'm talking checks. like, you know, at least Sony brought up indie development. I think that's a big oh, deal. Oh yeah. well, I
1: mean, it's, it's very tone-deaf for Microsoft to say we love indies and then release yet another version of Minecraft.
0: It just seems like Microsoft, whose roots, is in the PC community, in the PC game desktop, in the independent development game stratosphere and PC. Why would they not... Synergize those two things
1: into but the Xbox. It's very obvious why, if you if you think about the overarching company, they want your path to the Xbox to be through Windows RT. It's like their little proving ground, right? Think about it. Skulls of the Shogun. They went to RT. They went to Windows 8, and they went to Xbox. They recently published an article or an interview where they had an awful time because very few people have bought Windows 8. <laughs> Right, right. Not most people are
0: probably, most most large sales are probably just downgrading to 7.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I don't dislike Windows 8, I actually like it, but, you know, Surface would have been a great $200 tablet. It. Yeah. It's a, but you can't tell me that any, you know, average consumer is going to see $500 iPad, $500 Surface and go for the iPad, I mean go for the Surface. You just can't. right? No, I agree. I mean, Windows has traditionally been the the Walmart brand, right? Where where Mac is, you know, a little higher end, a little more of a.
0: I think I might agree basis. with Peregrine. I mean, I don't think it's fair, but I think in the public perception, Windows eight has is becoming a bigger disaster than Vista. I actually think it's already there because people vehemently just avoid it. And and again, you know, if you took out if you take out the start screen. I think Windows 8 desktop is probably a better desktop than Windows 7, so I want to make that disclaimer. I'm not na- saying I agree with it. it but Windows
1: 8 is actually a pretty good operating system. The problem is it's got a good copy be, dialogue at least. Well, it's trying to be two things at once
0: Yes right yes and th-
1: and that is the problem. I mean how many times in the tech industry have we seen this work you know I am the one product, I am the one platform for everything, and how many times has that failed?
0: Which is exactly what they're trying to do with the Xbox right.
1: I mean the the smartest thing Apple ever did was say iOS is related to Mac but it is not Mac.
0: Right. I mean they went right. they went hyper focused with iOS and I think it yeah. really helped.
1: Just like Android is related to Linux it's a type of Linux. It is not a full Linux distribution.
0: Right. I'm not I'm not running Now, now, it's get,
1: my... now there are ROMs you can get that <laughs> sure. that make that a false statement, <laughs> but generally speaking it's not. It's its own thing, right? It's a, it's a
0: and, you know, then there's also the aspect like I don't really want to run if I have the option. I don't really want to run a big, powerful console just to watch Arrested Development on Netflix. The Roku is tiny. It's fanless. It's it's low power, and it so doesn't my, have a it, camera.
1: My issue right now is neither console. Now that the one hundred and eighty happened, feels different enough to this current generation. Mm, interesting. Yeah, a lot
0: of the differentiation was kind of in that area. Was I, kind
1: of in the DRM well, stuff.
0: Well, you know, I think I I think. The Xbox One will feel like a much different product, um, and I think they will have games. You know, I mean, I, I think this is more about what a bunch of goobers Microsoft are. This is
1: more. I mean, this is more about it's time to clean up the marketing department for sure. But.
0: Oh my gosh! I mean, but they're, I talking about, ham- they're talking about restructuring it, so we'll see.
1: Yeah, we'll see. But I think we've hammered this enough, and if we, if people are interested, we can definitely have. Uh, you know, when the PS4 finally releases its dev kit publicly.
0: What I what I find interesting is and i guess this you know in retrospect was never going to happen never right. going to happen what i find interesting is the xbox 1 could have been a killing blow to the steam box but the the the, the door has been left so, open
1: so that's what i wanted it to be I wanted it to be yeah you can buy this but it's essentially a digital console.
0: Right, we're introducing Microsoft's uh, SkyDrive for games. Your games will sync across Windows and Xbox 1 when the games are available for both. If you buy a game on the Xbox 1 marketplace, it's available in through the Windows marketplace. Um, you know, think about think about it in those lines. They could have done this huge integration push you know display syncing between the two of them pushing display you know so that you could maybe use the Xbox as a second display for your games like Apple's now doing with the Apple TV on on Mavericks uh i mean Microsoft could have gone a very compelling route and really taken advantage of their massive market share that they at least have now but by the time the next console generation comes around they probably won't they blew it and now steam you know it's good for it's good for valve and so good for customers
1: yeah yeah yeah, I think that's a great place to leave it. The
0: game is afoot, Mr. Dominic. Game that's, a foot. The game is afoot. The game is That's where we leave it, right there. All right, Mr. Dominic, All where right. should people find you throughout the week?
1: At Twitter, at Dumanuku, and at uh, DominicM.com.
0: Pow, we have links to that and my social profile in the show notes. Don't forget you can email us, radio at jupiterbroadcasting.com, or hit that contact link at the top. Of the Jupiter Broadcasting website, Coder Radio is live Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, over at jblive.tv, then available for download shortly after that. We also appreciate comments and ratings in the iTunes store. It helps people find the show. We'd love to hear from you, too. Thanks so much, everybody. We, uh, we'll we see you right back here next week. Thanks, Mr. Dominic, too. Thanks for the great show, even though you were grumpy. We're still Urgh. good. Urgh. <laughs> we'll have fun next week, I'm sure. Yes. Yeah, yeah. All right, everyone. Thanks so much for tuning in this week's episode of Coder Radio. Bye-bye. See you back here next week.